0: Today is a special episode because I'm going to be talking about something that is super relevant, highly misunderstood by a lot of people and carries with it significant implications if we can't get it right. But before I dive in, I want to set the stage of where we are in the United States from a financial perspective to give you an understanding of how this plays into the debt cycle and the future that we are now facing. So in 2020, we are expected to have a federal deficit, which exceeds $3 trillion. That means all the money that we bring in in tax revenue as a country, it doesn't even cover our expenses as a country. And in fact, we're short by $3.3 trillion. This is three times greater than the deficit in 2019. Now in the media, it's common to hear trillions of dollars just thrown around loosely. But let me provide some context of how much a trillion dollars really is so you can grasp the enormity of this. So one trillion dollars is a thousand billion dollars or it's a million million dollars. If you took one dollar bills and you stacked them in a pile, it would measure 67,866 miles long, which would stretch around the Earth's equator 2.72 times. This is $1 trillion. If instead you denominated a trillion dollars in $100 bills, so if you stacked up $100 bills, you would be able to fill four and a half Olympic sized swimming pools with a total volume of 398,000 cubic feet of $100 bills. Astounding, right? So that means $3 trillion, our deficit this year, or shortcoming between our revenue and expenses as a country, If you put them in $1 bill stacks, you'll be able to wrap that around the earth eight times. It's crazy. It's an enormous amount of money. We are also, this deficit is going to push our federal debt held by the public to over 100% of our GDP for the year. Our GDP in the United States exceeds $20 trillion roughly on average per year. We have more federal debt held by the public than all the goods and services that we produce, the GDP, in one given year. The last time debt to GDP exceeded 100% was in 1946 after there's a huge uptick in spending during World War II. Now going forward, if we continue on this path, federal debt will exceed GDP by 100% year over year into the future. So that's where we are as a country. There's no surprise that the United States has a tremendous amount of debt. Consumers have a tremendous amount of debt. Households have a tremendous amount of debt. There's a lot of debt floating around there. So I'm going to start this episode by explaining how the economy works, how the economy can thrive, but also suffer from excessive debt, which will then lead into how transactions create debt cycles. And then at the end, I'll wrap it up by the implications of debt cycles. Sound good? So here we go. How does the economy work? It starts with transactions between people. So these transactions create three forces that drive the economy, productivity growth, short-term debt cycles, and long-term debt cycles. These three things are the forces that drive the economy, either in a good direction or in a bad direction. Now the economy is the sum of all the transactions that occur. And I'm going to start at a micro level. So every time you buy something, a transaction is created. There's a buyer who trades money or credit with a seller for goods, services, or financial assets. That's how a transaction occurs. Thus, the money that is spent plus the credit spent equals the total spending. Makes sense, right? And the total spending is what drives the US economy. In fact, consumer spending makes up about 70% of our economy. So it's a big chunk there. Now, if you take all these microtransactions that are occurring and you group them into similar pools, you get a market. Now, markets are comprised of all the buyers and sellers that are buying and selling the same thing. So there's markets like car markets, the construction market, home goods market, the steel market, biotech markets, sports markets, so on and so forth. These markets are made up of buyers and sellers who are trading goods, services, and assets for money and credit. So I went very micro. So the most micro level is transactions between a buyer and a seller. These accumulate together to make up markets. And then the markets add up together to make up the entire economy. So people, businesses, governments, financial institutions, they all engage in transactions. And remember, in a transaction, they're exchanging money and credit, okay? Because credit spends just like money. So think about it. If you go into a store and you use your credit card, even though you don't have money in your bank, the credit buys you things just like real money does, real dollar bills. And these transactions include the exchanging of money and credit for goods, services, and financial assets. So now let's talk about credit. There are two parties involved in a credit transaction. There's the lender and the lender has the cash and they want to help borrowers get something that they want, but they don't have the money to afford it right now. Now, borrowers, on the other hand, they're trying to make progress. They're trying to invest in something. They're trying to get something that they want or need, but they don't have the cash to do it. So for example, they may be looking to start a new business or buy a house or a car, or fund an education. So those are the two parties that are involved, lenders and borrowers. Now borrowers, they promise to pay back lenders with principal and interest. Principal involves the amount of money that's due back to the lender to settle the debt. But on top of principal, lenders wanna be paid interest. So when borrowers pay back lenders, it includes principal and interest. And this is known as debt service, principal and interest. Now, when lenders believe that borrowers can pay them back, and this is based on their credit worthiness, the amount of assets they have to collateralize, or their ability, their income to service debt, when they believe this, then they consider the borrower to be credit worthy. And then credit is extended. Now, once credit is created, it turns into debt. Debt is an asset to the lender and a liability to the borrower. So if you go back to the financial statements that we've talked about in the past, assets and liabilities plus equity end up on the balance sheet. So this is where debt resides. For the lender, it's gonna sit on the asset side of the financial statement. For the lender, this debt that's owed back to them, that needs to be paid off by the borrower, sits on the balance sheet as an asset. And a borrower... This debt that they now have acquired is sitting as a liability on the balance sheet. So this is all important because when a borrower gets access to credit, they're now able to increase their spending. And this spending drives the economy. One person's spending equals another person's earning. So if somebody goes and spends money at a store, that store earns revenue and ultimately generates income. Or earnings. So, as earnings or income increase, lenders are more willing to lend even more money. And the reason why they're willing to do this is because the borrowers, okay, that are getting these earnings, now they have more income. And this income is allowing them to go out there and invest, hopefully in assets, financial assets, or other real property, which gives more collateral back to the lenders. So, now it drives greater confidence with these financial institutions or these individuals to lend even more money. An increase in income leads to more borrowing and more borrowing leads to an increase in spending. And if the money is spent right, it increases productivity and this increase in productivity drives greater incomes. And this is where the cycle begins. If money borrowed is used for a productive purpose and generates enough income to service the debt, it could be a good thing. However, if it doesn't, it could create some problems because buying things you can't afford means spending more than you make. Essentially, you're not just borrowing from a lender, but you're also borrowing from your future self. This means in the future, you have to either earn more money through greater productivity and this productivity should lead to higher incomes. And this assumes that incomes continue to rise or by spending less to pay off debt. So those are your two options. When you have debt, you either have to earn more in the future, increase your income to pay off the debt, or you have to spend less to pay off the debt. During an upswing, lending leads to an increase in spending in investments, which leads to higher incomes and asset prices. This leads to more borrowing and spending on goods, services and financial assets. Now this all works if it's kept in harmony. However, there's some warning signs that occur which indicate a potential bubble. For example, when the amount of money that is being borrowed increases to make debt service payments, remember debt service is principal plus interest, it ultimately compounds a borrower's indebtedness. So debt crises, they occur when debt and debt service costs, the principal and interest, rise faster than the incomes needed to service these obligations. And when these increases occur, this is when the debt cycle wreaks havoc on an economy and ultimately leads to deleveraging. Thus, debt creates economic swings. It enables us to produce more when we acquire it through investing in business and assets. However, the downside is it requires us to consume less than we produce when it's paid back. This is the cycle here. This is the relationship. Now, most short-term debt cycles occur every five to eight years, with longer-term debt cycles occurring every 75 to 100 years, approximately. So I hope you see how this all flows together. There's transactions that occur on a micro basis. When all these transactions occur to buy similar products and services, they make up a market. These markets make up the economy, and the economy is mostly driven by spending, And when we get more access to credit, that combined with our current cash, we have the ability to spend more money. This spending increases productivity. This productivity leads to higher incomes. Higher incomes leads to more borrowing. And then this cycle repeats itself. And when we take on debt, we're ultimately either increasing our productivity and our income and our ability to pay back the debt, or we have to decrease our consumption in order to pay back this debt. And this creates economic swings. So given all this, let's talk about a few implications. First, spending money or credit on non-productive assets can be very dangerous. Remember, because to pay back debt, you either have to increase your income or you have to decrease your consumption to pay back the debt. Okay, So you have to consume less and have more free cash to pay back the debt in the future because you're borrowing from your future self, not just lenders. Now, if too many people in the economy are going out there and they're buying assets that are not productive, then we're just taking on additional debt that's not leading to the productivity that we need to generate greater incomes and to build businesses which will create higher employment rates and productivity to drive the economy forward. The concerning thing for me right now is when I see a $2 trillion stimulus package in the United States wrapped up in the CARES Act, and then I hear of stories of people going out there and buying bicycles and recreation vehicles and boats and all these things, these non-productive assets, then I believe that consumers are just spending money, they're not saving, or they're incurring more debt on non-productive assets, assets that aren't building their financial wealth. And then eventually in the future, they're going to have to pay those things back and pay them off, which is going to require them to sacrifice future consumption. And if this future consumption declines, that's when it drives us into a recession or in bad situations into depressions. So it's important that we're spending money in credit on productive assets. Now, that this doesn't mean you can't go out there and buy a boat and buy these recreation vehicles that I referenced. However, if we're using debt to buy things that we can't afford and they're not increasing our income or building assets for us, which allow us to be more financially stable in the future and to pay them off, then we can run into some real danger. The U S debt is also a big threat. So I talked about that at the introduction of the episode, U S debt is right now at $27 trillion, which means every U S citizen. Child, adult, everybody has approximately $82,000 attached to them or $217,000 per taxpayer. Our tax revenue in the United States is $3.4 trillion. And this isn't even enough to cover the deficit because remember, I said there's a $3 trillion deficit. So, how are we going to cover this deficit? Well, either we have to decrease spending as a nation. Okay, which may tank the economy, or we have to raise taxes, which means there's less money to spend on consumption. So, this could be a dangerous trap here. Now, let's look at debt to GDP. Now, this debt includes all the federal debt held by our country compared to GDP. GDP represents the gross domestic product, all the products and services, the value of those products and services that are produced in a given year. In 1960, our debt-to-GDP ratio was 52.3%. In 1980, it dropped to 34.7%. Then in 2000, it jumped back up to 55%, and now it's at 137%. Okay, so this is a dangerous trend. When your debt exceeds all the products and services that are produced in a country for a given year, This can create a debt service problem, meaning the amount of money that we bring in just to pay off the debt may not be sufficient, which is going to require sacrifices in the future to our consumption in order to pay this back. This also means that we have to pay this debt back. So we either have to have greater productivity growth or reduce spending. Now let's talk about productivity growth. Imagine the impacts of COVID on productivity. With everybody working from home, with the economy shut down, that's definitely impacting productivity growth. But we need this productivity growth in order to pay back the debt that we have. And also, if companies aren't investing in their businesses, if they're not transforming themselves on a regular basis to be competitive and to keep themselves profitable and relevant in their industries, this productivity growth can really decline. Reduce spending it's a big problem because spending drives our economy. So if spending decreases, it's just gonna cause us to go into a recession and this recession can be painful and it can really impact a lot of people's lives. So it's something to be aware of. So what are some solutions given all this? I'm gonna give you three key takeaways and then we're gonna wrap up. So first is spend less than you make. This is very relevant on a personal level and on a professional level. Spend less money than you make. I've known so many business leaders who are extremely successful and they make very big salaries. There's some executives I work with. They make more than a million dollars a year, but their expenditures are so high because they have multiple houses or they have boats and they have all these things associated with them that their expenditures can be a million dollars a year. And therefore they're just living check to check. So we have to practice greater discipline and spend less than we make. Now, there's sometimes when borrowing money is an exception to all this. If you're investing in things like a house, right, for your family, that may be a good investment. Or if you're investing in education so you can become more productive and earn more money in the future, this can be a good thing. Or if you're investing in assets that are going to generate income for you, these may be acceptable reasons for taking on additional credit and debt. And you must be wise when we give the same advice for companies, you know, if they're taking on debt to acquire other businesses or to invest in things that are going to maximize cash flow in the future, it may be a good idea. But if they're going into debt just to sustain operations, they don't even have enough cash to cover normal operations. That's when they're chasing bad debt. They have to be careful. Number two, focus on productive investments, not boats, not cars, not toys. If you have excess cash and you want to splurge, go for it. But I think there's too many people out there that are leveraging up on things that aren't productive. They're not productive assets. And eventually in the future, they're going to have to sacrifice to pay these things off unless they can continue to increase their income. That's number two, focus on productive assets. Doesn't mean you can't go out and splurge. Don't hear me wrong. However, invest in things that will allow you to generate more cash to reinvest and to grow your financial wealth to be more secure and number three, invest in innovation and productivity enhancements. So this involves transformations. Now transformations, even if companies don't have money, they can find money. And that's what we do at cultivar. We go into companies and we help them free up cash by pulling levers, like growth levers, profitability levers and capital efficiency levers in order to fund their own change efforts. So there's capital within businesses that could be freed up to make them more successful. It just has to be unlocked. And that's what we help companies do. We know the financial levers. So I hope you found this to be informative and helpful about how the economy works from a transaction level all the way to debt cycles and how they impact us on a day-to-day basis and some solutions of what you can start considering in order to build greater financial resiliency. It's now time to give some shout-outs, so thank you, everybody, for giving me your feedback. It's extremely helpful. This one's from Kyla. Love your financial literacy podcast. I work in sales and fintech, so understanding balance sheets, income statements, cash flows, etc., is valuable for our business. I'm also a beginner investor, so those have been incredibly helpful as well. Keep them coming. Hey, thanks a lot, Kyla, for that shout-out. This one's from Jack. I just wanted to take the time to let you know that you truly inspired and helped me in finance. I recently was accepted into an accelerated MBA program at my college and also got an internship in financial advisory that only two people received, mostly because of your knowledge and inspiration. Thanks again. No, thank you, Jack. I appreciate that shout out. Thank you so much for giving me your feedback and I'll continue to give shout outs as the comments roll in. Hey, real quick, if you get value out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a review. Also, if you want to be featured on the show, send me a recording with your name, your age, where you're from, and your question through a voice note or a video using your smartphone. Then email me the file at hello at byfiq.com. BYFIQ stands for boosting your financial IQ. So once again, it's hello at byfiq. .com. If selected, I'll give you a shout out and answer your question for you and the entire community. One last thing, if you want access to additional resources that will help you fast track your path to financial freedom, visit byfiq.com or download our free app in the Apple or Google Play app store today. Thanks again.